Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Colleen Dieter with the Horticulture Hangover Show. I am a landscape consultant at atxgardens.com. That's atxgardens.com. And I'm here today to answer your gardening questions. So you can call me at 512-836-0590 or text me at the same number. It's 512-836-0590. And um, let me know what you're thinking about with your yard and garden today. Um, And uh, it's time for a lot of garden maintenance. Mid-February is the big, heavy garden maintenance time when we, um, you know, need to start pruning our roses I did some rose pruning this week, and it was really fun. Uh, It's fruit tree pruning time. Uh, It's time to cut back your perennials. If you haven't started yet, start cutting back your perennials. Cut the frozen tops off. Um, It's important to try to get all of that stuff done before March 1st when the plants start growing back. Not that the plants are looking at the calendar and saying, oh, it's time to grow back today. But, um, you know, it's harder to prune the plants once they start growing. Um, When you have to sort out the new growth from the old growth or the old dead parts, it makes it more complicated. So uh, if you can get ahead of them, growing back it makes it a lot easier so it's a big time now um I'm gonna be cutting back my lantanas and Henry Dolberg sages um things like that uh in the next week or two so it's gonna be great so make sure you're keeping up with that kind of stuff um and of course Getting into the first week of March, there are a million gardening events going on, but I wanted to plug a couple uh, that are going on for Central Texas Seed Savers, which is my volunteer organization working to prevent extinction of rare, valuable plants that grow well here in Central Texas. So that includes vegetables, native plants, trees, everything like that. And you can check out our website at sentexseedsavers.org. It's sentexseedsavers.org. And some of our volunteers are hosting a seed swap at the Grow Local Field Day in Luling, Saturday, March 2nd, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and that's down in Luling at the station, 
looks, which looks like a fun place, at, uh, 102 West Pierce Street in Luling. Uh, bring your seeds to share. Come ready to browse seeds. Even if you don't have seeds to share, you're still welcome to come and get seeds at this event. Um, they're going to also have, in addition to the seed swap that day, watermelon planting, container growing, and raised bed uh, gardening uh, demonstrations. Um, entries for the Little Growers uh, Watermelon Competition for kids for the Watermelon Thump. Speakers and booths, uh, local growers to help you with your gardening questions. So go check out, check that out. I'll be there in the afternoon. Um, the seed swap at the local, that the Grow Local Field Day at the station in Luling. You can get more information about that at sentexseedsavers.org. Click on events and then scroll down in the calendar and you'll see it for March 2nd. Um, and then the next day on March 3rd, there's another seed swap. Uh, this one is a plant and seed swap on March 3rd from 2 to 4. Um, that's at the VFW 443 over in Oak Hill on Thomas Springs Road. And you can get more info about that. It sounds like they're going to be planting their community garden over there. And then also doing a seed swap. So lots of cool opportunities to you know meet other gardeners, get really good seeds from other gardeners that you probably can't find anywhere else. Um, and you know when you get seeds at the seed swap that you're getting good plants because those gardeners were successful with the plants, successful enough to be able to get seeds from them. So... Check out those two events. It's going to be really fun. Um, and again, you can get more information about both of those events at sentexseedsavers.org. And uh, yeah, sounds really good. So, oh, great. We've got a text message from a listener. Oh, cool. Um, it's from my buddy, Stephen Leander. Steve says, hi, Colleen. This is a lizard habitat I made from bricks. A frog decided it liked it. Oh, I love this photo, Steve. Thank you so much for sending this photo. He put some bricks. Um, looks like just a stack of bricks up against a wall and um, left a little gap uh, under. Stacked up two bricks, left a little, well, Put two bricks next to each other with a little space between them and then stacked another brick on top of that to cover the space. And um, yeah, that's a great place for frogs and toads and lizards to live. And I uh, I have a real soft spot for toads. I don't know. I don't know why. I just always really like toads a lot. And um, so I have a lot of places like this in my yard with rocks and uh, bricks and stuff, and I'm always delighted to uh, lift up a brick and see a toad underneath. <laughs> I just think they're so cute. 
And uh, I've been told that having toads and frogs and everybody in your yard uh, is a sign of a healthy ecosystem, you know, because there's stuff there for them to eat. And so that means you're doing a good job as a gardener of keeping the plants healthy. That helps keep all the insects healthy. And then that keeps the toads and lizards and frogs and everybody healthy too who eat all the bugs. So that's really cool, Steve. Thank you for showing that. And I I really hope everybody out there will um, want to learn more about gardening for habitat. Um, I even have a customer of mine who stopped referring to his garden as a garden. He just calls it a habitat now. Um, kind of refocused his efforts, his efforts in gardening from making something beautiful to look at uh, to making something that is welcoming to all kinds of insects and animals um, to prevent uh, mass extinction and uh, support our local ecosystem. And uh, of course, his garden is still beautiful to look at. It's still lovely, but he really does get a lot of birds and butterflies and plenty of pollinators, bees and everybody coming through and it's delightful, full of delight and very important work supporting all of those creatures that are uh, running out of places to live and we need them to survive. We need them to uh, pollinate our food crops and um, keep our environment healthy for us to live in too. So thanks, Steve, for sharing that. I appreciate you. Um, so yeah, I've seen even in some of the garden centers, sometimes they have little toad houses for sale. They're really cute, made out of terracotta. It's like a little upside down terracotta pot with a little archway that the toads can go in and hide under there. So pretty cool. I love that stuff. Um, let's see. Last week, I got so many text messages from y'all that I didn't have time to answer all of them. So um, I wrote a couple of them down. And one was about weeding around blue bonnets. Um, and it's really hard when you have a wildflower area with blue bonnets or any other wildflowers that you're trying to grow. Um, it's really common to get unwanted plants growing in with your wildflowers. So number one, um, make sure that the other flowers growing in with your blue bonnets are definitely plants that you don't want. Um, make sure that you identify your weeds. Because uh, it could be that there's other wildflowers coming in there, something beautiful that you want to keep uh, might be mixed in with your blue bonnets. Um, but it's also really common for a plant called button burrs or clover burrs. Uh, they're both called button burr or clover burrs. Um, it's the same plant with two different common names. I usually call them clover burrs. Someone recently said button burrs to me, and I just thought that was such a great name. Uh, 
So that's a really common plant that often grows with blue bonnets and um, they get burrs on them after they bloom. They get a little yellow flower. It looks like clover, grows real low to the ground, almost flat. And then they get a yellow flower and they, after they bloom, the flower makes a seed head that turns into a burr and they're really terrible and uh, don't have much redeeming qualities. They do fix nitrogen in the soil, but so do your blue bonnets and the clover burrs are not native. So um, how do you get rid of them is a real problem trying to get rid of them without uprooting your uh, blue bonnets as well. So I recommend using a hoe, especially when the plants are small. Um, but we're going to go to break right now and I will come back with more tips. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, everyone. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. This is the Horticulture Hangover Show, and I hope that you'll call me at 512-836-0590 or send me a text message with your gardening questions today, 512-836-0590. This week, I helped one of my customers with some tree pruning. Uh, It's a good time for pruning small trees understory trees. It's getting a little too late for pruning your oak trees, though, uh, for oak wilt prevention. But um, we did some pruning on smaller trees like red buds and uh, yopons. And, um, you know, there's just nothing like having someone come in person to help you. You know, I can answer your questions here on the show. You can watch YouTube videos. You know, I could describe things to you. But sometimes when you're standing there with your own tree in your own yard with the pruners and you're just looking at the tree and you're like, man, I am just not sure. Um, That is a service that I offer. I can come over and help you. We can do it together. And uh, I can give you some more confidence on how to proceed uh, so you can schedule a consultation with me at atxgardens.com and I can come over and show you what to do. Um, so we were working on some of his trees this week. He had, he has a type of Yopon holly called Scarlet's Peak. That's very interesting. It's a columnar shape, you know, it's column shaped and it has berries uh, too. So there was an older version of this that uh, had no berries. It was a male plant. Um, Yopons have separate male and female plants. And so there was one called Will Fleming that was really popular around the time when I first moved to Austin and first started my business back in the early 2000s. Everybody was planting Will Fleming hollies. And as they got older, um, they, they started out a nice column shape and you'd buy them and, you know, put up, put one on either side of your door or plant them as a privacy hedge in a skinny area. It was really nice because they were skinny. 
but as they got older, they just kind of flop open. Um, so they looked more like brooms than a column. <laughs> so well, it was not very attractive. So uh, you'd have to tie them up all the time and try to keep them in a column shape. And you have to try to cut the tops off and trim them and stuff like that. So anyway, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, it came out. The plant breeders came out with one called Scarlet's Peak that is the same shape as the Will Fleming, but it was supposed to be more dense and not flopping open, and it had berries, and the berries are awesome. They're really beautiful. They look really good, but they're still flopping open. These plants are still floppy. Not as bad as the Will Fleming, but we still have to trim them and tie them and... um keep them column shaped. So anyway, if you don't mind a little bit of maintenance and you really need a column shaped plant, the Scarlet's Peaks Yopons are pretty good. They're not perfect, but they're pretty good. And so a couple times a year, we've got to go out there and tie them with some uh, tree tie webbing to a stake. Um, or you can use like fishing line that you can't see as much and kind of tie all the branches together to hold the hold the plant together and uh, trim off some of the ends of the branches to reduce the weight. And especially with all the berries, it, there's more weight on the branch then. Um, so the branches fall open. But that's the Scarlet's Peak Yopon. So I just wanted to tell you all about that because I know a lot of you call in with questions about, you know, what can I plant for privacy for my neighbors, you know, so I don't have to see the neighbor's yard and stuff like that. So, okay, here's a great question. Someone texted in asking, can a mountain laurel make it in the shade and under an oak? Yeah, um, yes, they can. They'll just be more leggy. They may not be as attractive as the ones that are in full sun. Um, when plants are in the shade, they have a tendency to stretch. So there's a longer distance between their branches and between their leaves. and Their stems are skinnier because they're stretching to try to get more sun. And um, mountain laurel in the shade will be less bushy and will have longer stems um, and may not bloom as much. And so as long as that doesn't bother you, they will survive in the shade under an oak. Um, they're so lovely you know, they're great plants, but the other thing to know about Texas mountain laurels is they're extremely slow growing and they'll be even slower in the shade. Um, and except for that, they're stretching to reach the sun. Um, and they really resent, uh, transplanting. It's real hard on them. So when you get one from the nursery and you put it in the ground, it takes a long time, years for them to adjust to their new home. And, um, you know, I had one and it really, that I planted and from a 15 gallon pot, uh, and it really took five years before it started growing at all. And it went through a horrible, um, phase where it turned yellow and I thought it was going to die but it made it and now it's gorgeous and that was 
many years ago. I mean, that was 15 years ago, probably. And now it's taller than I am and bushy and beautiful and blooms all the time. But it's in full sun. It's in it gets sun most of the day and has afternoon shade from uh, chickapin oak. So, you know, yeah, the mountain laurels, will sur- they'll survive in the shade, but they just won't look as good as they do when they're out in the full sun. So you can decide from there. And a lot of people ask me about mountain laurels because the Texas mountain laurels, because they're so beautiful, um, you know, those flowers, the purple flowers are so gorgeous. And uh, we don't get a whole lot of plants with that kind of purple color uh, in our landscapes. So it is a special thing. Uh, and uh, the scent of the flowers is so heady and gorgeous. So uh, smells like grape bubba yubba. So, you know, check it out and see what you think. If you want to try one, go for it. But uh, in the shade, they're not as good. So um, y'all can call me 512-836-0590 with your gardening questions. You can also text me at that same number. You can ask me questions about fruit trees, perennials, any kind of tree. I'm a certified arborist and I am a landscape consultant at atxgardens.com. My name is Colleen Dieter and I help my customers by alleviating their anxieties about their yards. So if you have something going on at your house or on your ranch you know, anything having to do with the landscape. Um, go ahead and check it out at atxgardens.com and see if you think we'd be a good fit. We got a question here about huckleberries. Someone texted and said, Will huckleberries grow in Spicewood or in Austin? And tell you the truth, I have never seen a huckleberry growing anywhere around here. Um, so my guess is probably no. Um, but you might try it. It could be that no one's done it before. Listeners, have any of you tried to grow huckleberries here in Central Texas? Um, my guess is that the soil here may be too alkaline for huckleberries. Um, I think of huckleberries as growing in the mountain west. They may also need higher altitude um, or something like that or more mineral-rich soil. Um, So I'm not sure, but let me know, y'all, if you have grown huckleberries around here. And we're going to go to the news, and we'll see you after the break. Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Hey, y'all. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm here today to answer all your gardening questions. You can call or text at 512-836-0590. 
And uh, I am a landscape consultant. I can come and help you with your yard, give you advice, uh, design ideas. You can make an appointment with me at atxgardens.com. And we've got some questions here. One says, hi, Colleen. Love hearing you on Saturday morning. A special treat. Thank you so much. You know, y'all who listen every week, you know that compliments are my fertilizer. Compliments make me thrive. So I appreciate that. Um, And they go on in the text to ask, is there a flowering ivy that I can plant by a trellis that is not invasive, but fast growing and beautiful? Thank you. Yes, uh, my favorite for that situation for growing on a trellis is cross vine. Cross vine, C-R-O-S-S, cross vine. And they're native. They're, they're not the fastest growing, but they're not invasive either. So um, takes them a little while to get going. Like you might not see a lot of growth in the first year after you plant it. Um, but then after that, they'll grow faster and they bloom twice a year with beautiful apricot colored flowers so check out the cross vine another one I really like is called Carolina jessamine similar um, blooms twice a year with yellow flowers instead and they're both evergreen plants they both are very durable will stand up to all the drought and um cold that we have so those are my two top choices for growing on trellises um, so check those out cross vine and carolina jessamine that's called okay we got another text of someone reminding me about the wonderful fragrance of texas mountain laurels oh all the great things we were saying before the break about Texas mountain laurels that you got to mention how beautiful the fragrance is on those plants, the Texas mountain laurel. So yes, thank you for the reminder. And here's another text message. Thanks for the texts, y'all. Oh, classic question from Colette. It says, hi, Colleen. Any advice on getting an early start in putting tomato plants into the ground? Also, is blood meal an effective fertilizer for tomato plants? Thanks for your advice. Colette. Okay, I knew someone was going to ask me this question this week about tomatoes and early tomatoes because I know they're starting to show up in the nurseries. And um, yeah, when you plant tomatoes early, you know, really uh, there's some things you can do. You just have to make sure. Um, you know, most folks won't plant their tomatoes until after March 1st at the earliest, but a lot of people like to get them in the ground earlier so that they can get more tomatoes, um, and take advantage of the cooler weather early in the spring so that they'll have a larger harvest before it gets super hot in the summer and the tomatoes stop producing when it gets too, too hot. So, um... 
But, you know, the danger of planting the tomatoes early is that we could have another freeze. And someone asked me last night, a friend of mine asked me last night at a party if uh, she already planted basil. And she said, do you think we're going to have another freeze? And I said, yeah, we're going to have another freeze. I'd be surprised if we didn't have another freeze between now and March 15th. Um, I'd be more surprised if we didn't have a freeze than if we did have a freeze. So you just have to be ready, okay? If you're going to plant tomatoes early, if you're going to plant basil early, um, anything like that, the warm season plants, you know, if you do it before March 1st in town, before March 15th outside of town, um, where it's cooler out in the rural areas, you have just have to be ready. So... Um, be ready with covers, a way to keep the plants warm. Um, a lot of folks will put, uh, you can put buckets of water next to the plants if it is going to be cold. Um, even if it gets really below 40 degrees, it can cause some cold damage on some of those plants, tomatoes that are more sensitive. Um, so you can put a bucket of water next to the plant and then the heat will radiate out from the bucket of water all night and warm the area around the plant. Um, make sure you have your covers ready to go, um, to protect them from the cold. And, um, you know, the internet is bursting with ideas about how to get early tomatoes and uh, how to protect plants from the cold, you have to come up with a system that works for you. Um, you can use incandescent Christmas lights and put those around the plants to help keep them warm. Um, I've seen these things. I have never done this myself, to be honest. It's just so pervasive in the gardening world uh, that I know so much about it because it's such a it's such a fascination that gardeners have. Uh, gardeners can be really obsessed with growing tomatoes. So, uh, but the one thing that I've seen that I thought was pretty cool is this like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, like this plastic pouch of water that is round that you can put around the little tomato plant. So it's sort of like encased in a column of uh plastic bag that's shaped like a column around the the plant to keep it warm um so you can check out all that zany stuff the truth is if it gets really cold uh you know we're just gonna you're gonna lose them you know if it gets if it gets down to 32 and you take measures to try to keep it you know 10 degrees warmer around the plant then you'll be fine but if it gets down to 25 again they're going to die, you know, so you just have to be ready for disappointment as well because no matter how much you cover them, they're still going to freeze. And then to answer your other part of the question, is blood meal an effective fertilizer for tomato plants? Um, in around Austin, blood meal is a good, generally a good fertilizer for most plants because our soils in Austin are short on nitrogen. And um, blood meal is very high nitrogen. And so, yeah, nit so generally speaking, blood meal is good for most plants. 
including tomatoes, especially when the tomatoes are first getting established. Um, But as time goes by and you're getting to the point where you want the tomatoes to start flowering, like getting into um, uh, mid-March and April, you may want to switch to a fertilizer that's has a little bit less nitrogen and a little bit more phosphorus, like a tomato, something specifically made for tomatoes and peppers, uh, tomato and pepper food. Um, I believe Rabbit Hill Farm has a really good tomato pepper food that'll encourage the plants to flower more. But really what you need to do is get a soil test and find out exactly what your particular soil needs because... If you're gardening in the native soil, that's one thing. I can make some guesses about, you know, what you're probably going to need for your garden. But if you're gardening in a raised bed where you brought in soil and you bought soil somewhere, it could be completely different. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have any way of knowing what your particular soil needs are. So there may be plenty of phosphorus in your soil for the flowering plants and the plants that make fruit and flowers like uh, tomatoes and peppers. But um, you may be short on nitrogen. Most everyone in Central Texas is short on nitrogen, so that's why generally the blood meal is a good choice. Um, So, yeah, thank you so much, Colette, for that question. I knew somebody was going to ask me about early tomatoes (laughs) this week because it's early tomato time, y'all. So if you're into that, race against time to get a lot of tomatoes before the summer heat sets in. Um, You can get going on that now. Um, Here's another question. It says, good morning. Oh, wait, it's 845. We got to go to a break. I'll see you after the break. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Hey, y'all. Good morning. Listen, I want to give you some reminders about a couple of events coming up March 2nd down in Luling at the station. There's a big Grow Local Gardening Fair going on. That's going to include a seed swap. It's going on all day from 10 to 4. March 2nd, you can get more information at sentexseedsavers.org. It's going to be great. So I just want to remind you all about that event. Go check it out in Luling. It's going to be really fun. Um, We're also going to be at the VFW on Sunday the 3rd over in Oak Hill, March 3rd with another seed swap over there. So y'all can check that out again at sentexseedsavers.org. And now we've got, y'all are just waking up late today because nobody called me early in the show and now everyone's calling and texting because <laughs> it's, it's cloudy. It's hard to get out of bed. Here's Dana in Pflugerville. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I had sent you some picture uh, pictures of some Asian jasmine that I've had in the front yard. It's, it's at least 15 years old. Okay. It's always been healthy. However, I've got a, a couple of patches. One patch has been 
um, looking dead for about two years. Yeah. So I can't really blame it on the cold and the heat. Um, and then I just discovered another patch. There is, um, hmm. there's some growth coming up this summer. Um, and I, I just want to know, do I fertilize it? Do I pull the thatch away? How can I save this? Because I've got a lot in my front yard. And the rest looks great. Yeah, I see the pictures that you just sent. Thank you for calling, too. That's great. Um, so uh, is it in full sun? No, no. I've got yeah. two beautiful live oaks above it. Okay. And, um, and like I said, the rest of it is good. So I know that it, I, I would assume it's getting plenty of water and not too much sun. Okay. Yeah, um, it's just been so rough. You're not the only one uh, in the last few years to start losing Asian jasmine like this, um, for sure. And yeah, usually it bounces back faster. Um, So what I would do if I were you is I would go in on those bare spots and I would add uh, at least two inches of compost over right. the dead parts yeah the parts where it's the patches where they're dead there right and then on the parts where it's still alive and looking mm-hmm. pretty good add about a quarter inch or a half inch just a sprinkling of compost over that and if you can get turkey or chicken compost that's mm-hmm. the best thing for this situation and okay, just call around to the local nursery. Yeah, and, and see who's got mm-hmm. turkey or chicken. Mm-hmm. A poultry? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you can't get poultry compost, any kind of compost will work. But okay. I like do the, I remove any of the of the thatch or the dry leaves? Because um, they're pretty packed when I put down the compost. I think that you don't have to, but if you want... A plus plus gold stars in the class. Mm-hmm. You would, <laughs> especially well, the tree small, leaves. It's a small area, so okay. therefore I can handle that. Yeah, I think so because I think, and I don't often recommend that, but in this situation, I think I am going to recommend it because when the jasmine stems start to grow into that area, it'll be easier for them to root in there into the soil if there's not that kind of. Uh, mulchy dead material in the way makes sense yeah thank you so much you're welcome and thank you so much for your call okay you too Mm -hmm. bye-bye okay we've got susan and canyon lake susan you're on the air good morning good morning um i have have a quick question okay we throw our um wild birds uh, our wildflower seed out okay well there's kind of two times of year for wildflower seeds. And uh, one is coming up in March and April. Uh, is a good time for some of the wildflower species will come up at that time of the year. Um, the ones that tend to uh, bloom in the fall. Uh, so you can do it at that time. Um, most of the time, folks do it in September and October. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the most common time to do it. But there's some species of wildflowers that will sprout in the spring. So, okay. um, yeah. 
Depends on which yeah, ones. Yeah, I got a big, broad variety of seeds yeah. from, um, for Christmas. Oh. And so I want to go ahead and, I guess, try to throw them out next month, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Wait till like March 15th is a good time. And and then uh, they'll come up if we get some good rain in uh, April and May. We usually get a lot of oh. rain in May. And hopefully this year we'll, we'll get a lot of rain in May. And then they'll start sprouting. And you'll see okay. them. And a lot of them will just stay as little sprouts all summer. Um, and then they'll bloom in the fall. Okay. Yeah. Well, well thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Okay, you too, Susan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, what a great uh, holiday gift, uh, wildflower seeds. That's really neat. I gave some wildflower seeds to my mom and my brother a couple Christmases ago. Hey, y'all, I'm sorry. We're getting so many text messages here at the end of the show. I'm not going to be able to get to y'all. Um, I don't blame you. It was hard getting up this morning. Um this text message I'm going to get to because it's full of compliments. Uh, it says, I need to raise an area of my property significantly to provide mounds in which to grow some 30-gallon boxed live oaks. I have access to riprap mixed with heavy native soil from Buddy's excavation business for base, but want to bring in river bottom friable soil to grow oaks. I also have access to natural uh, packed uh, granite gravel. I need to raise the mound island at least six feet. Thank you so much for your expertise and your, you know, we love you. Never forget, even if we forget to mention it every time. And there's a bunch of little cute smiley emojis there. And then they go on to tell me that this is to block a 21-foot elevated eyesore of horrible super bright lights from new industrial park neighbor. Well, this is an old story around here. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. Um, you know, you're going to need at least, I would put on top of all the riprap and everything, um, you can mix in the granite with that, and then definitely at least two feet of that should be the good uh, friable soil. I'd get some kind of mix. Um, Geo Growers is real good for this kind of thing. If you go in there and ask them, tell them what you're trying to do, they'll be able to give you advice about which soil mix to get for the top two feet. But I think all that stuff that you got for the bottom part will be great. And then put those trees on top. And if they're live oaks, they're going to get the job done blocking that light. So thanks so much, y'all. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com, and I'll see you next week.